0: Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. How are we doing tonight? Everybody good? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Hey, I want to say a couple of things before we get started. Number one, can we just thank our team that led us in worship today? They do an excellent, excellent job. Uh, You know, one thing I love about this church is we have a lot of great worship leaders, and that makes me really happy. Uh, That, you know, it doesn't have to be one person singing, it's a lot of us. Uh, And I don't think God cares who it is as long as it's his praise being sung. And so I'm just really proud of them uh, just leading strong and leading well. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Cody Jones. I'm the worship arts pastor here at Tree of Life Church. uh, And I am very, very, very thankful to Pastor Don. I told him this. Uh, last Sunday I think just thank you for giving us the opportunity to uh, use our gifts and stand here and speak uh, we just wrapped up a series called catalyst changing the world around you I encourage you to go check that out some of our uh, pastors here on staff we preached those messages I just did Sunday so I got I did a preaching double header this week and let me tell you pastor Don used to do this every week he used to do Sunday and Wednesday and I just want to say I commend you because was a lot of studying for one week um, but I want to say a couple things real quick before we get into this. Uh, number one, this Sunday is Missions Sunday, and so we encourage you to come, uh, prepared really to just give, uh, We believe in foreign missions and local missions here at Tree of Life Church. We always have from the beginning. Um, We've been taking teams on foreign missions uh, from the beginning of this church. It was something that was in our founding pastor's heart. It's something that's in our senior pastor's heart um, to support what God's doing around the globe. We support works in Mexico. We have a sister church uh, named Arbol de Vida. It's in León, Guanajuato, Mexico. And we support them uh, as much as we can. We love going down there every year To support their local church. They're a thriving local church of about 500 people uh, in a city of 2 million, over 2 million. And so uh, we're just so excited about all that God's doing there. And then we support 10 missionaries in Northern India that are bringing the gospel to regions that have literally never heard the name of Jesus. Uh, these are places where there's no translation of the Bible in their native dialect, and they are bringing the gospel to places that have never been reached before. And you can be a part of that. And so I just wanna encourage you, to come prepared Sunday to give, maybe above and beyond your normal tithes and offerings. My wife and I give to missions each month. And then also come prepared maybe to stay afterwards. Uh, we have a brisket, uh, plate lunch that's going on, and it's not one of those brisket plate lunches where you're not sure what it is. It's really good brisket. Uh, Gary Becker and our team here do an incredible job. And then I believe we have breakfast as well. Is that correct? In between services. And then also the mission store. Guys, if you want some brownie points and things of that nature, um, then go to the mission store and buy something for your wives. There's some great stuff there. It's stuff that comes from Mexico, and it's going back into the mission field. It's really incredible. And then we also, if you're somebody that it wants to support local missions. You can bring some staple food items when you go out today on the right. You'll see these racks and they, names like beans, rice, tuna, and some other things. You can bring that and that's going to go to help people in this area um, because we don't just want to reach out to the world around us and forget about the world that's right beside us. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that. The last thing I want to say is I want to welcome those of you who are joining us via live stream and specifically those of you who are streaming this via Facebook Live. So we've just started doing that. This is actually our first time today. So if you're watching this on Facebook Live, you're at first, you're like making history with Tree of Life Church right now. Thank you so much. And I just want to encourage you, you know, we want to use any means that we can to get the message out. And so uh, that's what we do. That's what our production and media crews do. And we're so thankful for them. Can we give them a round of applause just really quick? So. A lot of people back there that you never see until you turn around and go, what happened? And, uh, and, but they work hours and hours a week, volunteers to make sure that you can come and just receive uh, from the presence of God and from the word of God. So we're thankful for them. Um, If you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you got it, or get on your app and turn to Philippians chapter one. And we are starting a brand new series. We just wrapped up a series in Galatians. um, And so now we are starting this series in in Philippians and it's called Finding Your Joy. And Philippians is a book that kind of has this tone of joy. And so we're going to dive into this really quick, uh, as long as I can find it on my iPad. Let's see how fast I am. But I want to read this entire chapter for you um, in just a second. And I know that sounds like a lot, but that's okay. I would encourage you, if you didn't hear the Galatians series, go back uh, treeoflifechurch.org and check out those uh, sermons. It's really, really great to just study a book of the Bible at a time. And I would also encourage you with this series in Philippians, maybe go home during the week and maybe even consider reading the book of Philippians in one, uh, just in one pass. It, it won't take you very long. It's actually just a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, so it's not very long at all. But I'd encourage you to just get a picture of what we'll be talking about in this series. And so, this sermon is called, What Does not Matter? And we'll get into that in a second. But let me tell you a little bit about the history of the book of Philippians. So the apostle Paul, uh, he was a church planner, and he was writing to the, the church at this city called Philippi in Greece. And he had planted this church in Acts chapter 16. You can read the account of him planting this church. He had been called to Macedonia. He had this dream. And in this dream, he saw a man calling for him to go there. God gave him a dream to go to Macedonia. So he goes over to this area of what we would now call Greece into Philippi, and he plants a church there. And when he plants this church there, he experiences quite a bit of persecution. Him and his buddy uh, Silas that were traveling together, they go into this area, they begin ministering, and there was this demon-possessed girl who told the future. through the power of a demonic influence. And maybe you're not familiar with things like that, um, but these are kind of things that really do happen in the spirit realm. Um, And so she's following them around and she's basically declaring they're telling the truth. If you want to know how to get saved, then listen to them. But she's under this demonic influence and it really probably is kind of undercutting the truth of what they're saying. Because how many of you know, and maybe you don't know this, but the Bible says that the demons understand the power that God has and they tremble when they hear his name. And the demons know the truth and so she's declaring the truth but it's undercutting the truth of what Paul and Silas were saying and it's a, it's a bother to him. So I love this about Paul. He just gets tired of it one day and he turns around and he just says, "Come out of her." And the demon comes out of her and she loses the ability to tell the future. So the owners of this slave get really mad because when she loses the ability to tell the future, they lose their ability to gain income through her. And so they basically start a mob and they have Paul and Silas beaten and then thrown in jail. And you see this story, and some of you have heard this, some of you haven't. Paul and Silas are beaten without a trial. And this is in this Roman city It's actually a Roman colony. They follow Roman rules and they are taken down into this dungeon in a prison and locked in stocks. And it's a nasty, nasty place. And maybe you've heard the story of uh, late at night, they're singing praises to God. They're locked in these stocks in this disgusting dungeon in jail after being beaten for something that was really a service to this girl and caring for her. They begin singing praises to God and God basically breaks the doors off of the place, breaks the shackles off of every prisoner there. They don't leave, they stay in the jail and they lead the jailer to Jesus. And it's this powerful story of in the midst of hardship and persecution, God moves and we see a man and his family receive Jesus. This jailer and his family, they get baptized as a result of what God did through Paul and Silas' hardship. And so Paul has kind of been through it when he was at this place. And he started this church. And now Paul finds himself, most scholars believe that when he wrote this, it's about 62 to 64 AD. He's probably, I think, around 66 years old or maybe a little upwards of there. And he finds himself in this Roman prison. And really what most people believe is that he is imprisoned in Rome itself by the imperial guard, the palace guards, the people who are Caesar's guards. And he is gonna stand trial before Caesar to declare, basically he's gonna stand up and declare who Jesus is to the leader of the Roman empire. And through all of these hardships and trials, God has positioned him in a place to where he is awaiting his trial to stand before the Roman emperor and to declare the truth about Jesus. And he's writing from basically this prison. And this is what he says. Let's read this. In chapter one, I'm going to read the whole thing to you. It says, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. I kind of like that he said, including the church leaders. Like, what was was that, like a slight? No, I'm just kidding. But uh, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God who began the good work in you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. So we can see that he's pretty close to the people of this church. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced by your life in Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. So catch this for a second. He's saying the palace guard, the people who are Caesar's imperial guard, they know that I'm in chains because of Jesus. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others don't have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ which would be far better for me. This is what he's saying about if I were to die, it'd be even better because I'd be in heaven with Jesus. then he says, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. And knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he's doing through me. Now he's addressing them very directly. And he says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Can I say something really quick? If you want to look up at me, the the city of Philippi was uh, a a military city. There were a lot of Roman soldiers or former Roman soldiers there. There was a city in Greece that was a colony of Rome. So they operated under uh, Roman laws and they had Roman citizenship. This was a big deal to these people and they were very proud of their citizenship in this particular city because they got to be a colony of Rome. And Roman citizenship afforded you certain privileges. In fact, when Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown in jail in Philippi, when they took them out of jail, they released them. And Paul and Silas said, no, you're not gonna release us because you beat us without a trial and we're Roman citizens. And the city leaders freaked out because they thought Since they were from another area, that they weren't Roman citizens. And they realized that they had done something very unjust and against the law. So these people are very proud of their citizenship. And Paul says, above all, above your Roman citizenship, above the privileges afforded to you by being a Roman colony, maybe above the fact that some of you are Roman soldiers that are reading this, or former Roman soldiers. Above all of that, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies." This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. How many times do you hear those words put together? The privilege of suffering for Christ. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. Look at your neighbor and say, we are in this struggle together are like, what struggle? I don't know if I want to be in your struggle. Don't worry about it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that we get to read these ancient letters and these ancient writings that are so much more than some historical record. Maybe some of us have letters that were passed on from our grandparents and things, and we read them as this amazing historical mem- memoir or a peek into someone's life. But no, God, these our writings that were inspired by your Holy Spirit that were passed down through millennia and preserved for us to learn about. God, these are writings that are still alive today and active. The Bible says they're sharper than a two-edged sword. They can pierce through our hearts and show us who we really are and show us who you really are and how we can grow to be more like you. So Holy Spirit, as we learn about this word right now, we pray that you would reveal it to us. Maybe there's some of us today who came in skeptical and far away from God, and we don't really care what this word says. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would just have open hearts by the Holy Spirit. I pray in the name of Jesus that those of us who've maybe heard this chapter a million times and have been walking with Jesus for 30, 40, 50 plus years, that there would be something fresh and new about this today, because we can all stand to learn something new from your word. And God, my prayer is that as we convey these truths today, that it doesn't come from my mind, but it comes from your heart and your spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. So. Paul is talking a lot about struggles in this chapter, if you really look at it. And he's talking about these different struggles that he's facing, anything from imprisonment all the way to uh, his struggle of, I I don't know at this point, because really you think about it, he's in this prison in Rome and he's gonna stand trial before Caesar. And he understands there's a really strong possibility that he could be executed. And so he's really in this struggle of, well, I don't know if I'd rather just go to heaven. And I would venture to say he's probably thinking, should I believe God that I will be saved and that I'll be spared? Or should I just believe God that I'll go ahead and go to heaven? Because I would really enjoy that. You got to think Paul is the person who Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. So he had this personal, incredible encounter with Jesus You got to think Paul is the person that said, I know a man once who was caught up and went to heaven. And most people think that he was talking about himself. He's encountered and experienced these things. And so he probably is thinking, I would really rather be in heaven. So there's this struggle of, I don't know what I really want, if I want to go to heaven or if I want to stay on this earth. There's a struggle of being in prison. And I want to talk to you about four types of struggles that I believe we can see in all of this. Number one, the first struggle is circumstances. In verses 7 and 12 through 14 and 29 through 30, he's talking about his imprisonment. Now, this is a circumstance that was not his fault. Paul didn't go to prison because he was doing something bad. Paul went to prison because he was doing something good. He was proclaiming the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And sometimes you can't control what life throws at you. We live in a broken world and bad things happen to good people. People ask that all the time. Why do bad things happen to good people? Can I tell you this? It's not God's fault. It's people's fault. Because Adam, the first human ever, messed everything up when he sinned in the garden, him and his wife Eve. And we live in a broken, fallen world. Do you know how I know that? Because you don't have to teach a two-year-old to do something wrong. You have to teach them to do something right. We live in a messed up world and things just aren't right here anymore because we gave up the privilege of living in a perfect world when Adam and Eve sinned. And so bad things happen to good people, not because God causes them. That's contrary to scripture. God is a good father. And I know that those of you who are fathers and mothers in this room, you wouldn't put bad things on your kids to teach them a lesson. But we know that because we live in a messed up world, bad things do happen. But Jesus came to give us hope, to set things right and to give us a future. See, God doesn't send bad circumstances, but He'll certainly turn them around for our good. So we see here that Paul's addressing circumstances. I'm in prison. It's not really that I did something bad, but it's that I shared the message of Jesus Christ. That's the first kind of struggle that you and I encounter in life is circumstances. It may have been something that was not your fault. Maybe you were abused as a kid. Maybe um, people talk down to you as a kid. Maybe you found yourself in a, in a relationship later on in life that you thought was good at first, but it turned out to be abusive. Maybe there's a sickness that's come on your body and there's this this circumstance, something. Maybe you got laid off the other day, but there's a circumstance you couldn't control The second thing is personal conflicts. In verses 15 through 18, we see Paul is talking about, I don't know if you caught that, he's talking about people who are out there and they're preaching the gospel, not out of pure motives, but out of selfish ambition and really to kind of be a a pain to him. I'm gonna go back and read that for you really briefly. Verses 15 through 18. He talks about some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. And then he talks about they don't have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. You know, sometimes in life, you're going to have personal conflicts. Personal conflict is a natural part of life, and it takes great strength to work through it. And I I would say this to you, believers are just as susceptible to personal conflict as anyone else. Don't think that because you walked into church, you're not going to experience personal conflict. If you've been in church for longer than five minutes, you'll know that's true. You may have experienced personal conflict when you walked in and somebody was sitting in your seat, which, by the way, nobody has a seat in this church, not even the pastors. If you look, there's no name tags here. Everybody has whatever seat they want because we want to give guests the very best seat in the house. Maybe you walked in the doors and maybe you've been offended by people in church before. Maybe you left church a long time ago and you're just maybe giving it a chance again because you were offended. See, we know that personal conflict can happen in church life as well. And even in ministry, as Paul is showing us, because we understand that people are still people, And while God has set us free and redeemed us, we know that we still have this element of broken humanity called our flesh. And we still deal with certain things in life. Somebody said there was a t-shirt that says, I'm a Christian, but I cuss a little. (laughs) My hope is that we're all working past that, but everybody knows they have some things in their lives that they got to keep working on. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't be proud of that, by the way but everybody knows that they have something that they're working through. The question is not if we're gonna face personal conflict. The question is, how will we handle it? Because Jesus didn't say there would be no conflict in the church, but in John 13, verse 35, he said, "'By this the world will know you're my disciples, "'by your love for one another.'" The difference with the church and the world is not that we don't have conflict. It's that when we have conflict, we still respect the other person as valuable because they're God's kid. There's an intrinsic value on the, on the inside of each person, whether we agree with them or not, whether they're a believer or not, because God created them in his likeness and in his image. The other thing about the church is that we are called to really talk things out. I heard somebody say one time about their church that their church was unique because a lot of people, when they get into an argument or a disagreement with somebody, they go down the street and they go somewhere else. But at this church, this, this pastor was saying, we fight it out like a family. If you're part of a family that everybody agrees, God bless you and tell us all your secret. <laughs> and don't tell us the secret that you really don't agree But everybody has a family and everybody knows that families disagree, families fight, but they fight until there's a resolution if they're healthy. The third thing I believe we all struggle with is internal wrestling. Verses 20 through 25, we see Paul having this dialogue and he's really giving us a glimpse into his heart and into his mind. And he's saying, I would almost rather just go to heaven already. I I would just love to be in the presence of Jesus. It's not like this weird thing where he's wishing death upon himself, but he knows he's nearing the end and there's this potential that he might be executed. And he's saying, for me, it's, it's a gain to go to heaven where I get to be in the presence of my savior. Sometimes the struggle you face isn't the result of an outward pressure, but an inward wrestling. An, intergal, an internal struggle can come in the form of a big decision. It can come in the form of maybe a sin in your life that you need to deal with. It can come in the form of a dream so big that it scares you. Or it could just be insecurity. Maybe it's just, I don't know if I'm good enough. You know what? There are so many people in the Bible who struggled with insecurity. And one of my favorite things about the Bible is that it highlights the struggles of the heroes. When, when, when the angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon and calls him a mighty man of valor, Gideon proceeds to tell him how lame he is. And he comes to him while he's hiding anyways. I love how many times in chapter one of Joshua, God has to say, be strong and courageous. You don't repeat to your kid to clean their room unless they're not cleaning their room. Joshua is probably really terrified and not very courageous. And so God keeps saying over and over again, be strong and courageous. And then he goes out and he tells his people what they're about to do and how they're about to fight these battles. And his people tell him, be strong and courageous. but maybe there's an internal wrestling in your life and wrestling with your own thoughts and emotions can be every bit as difficult as struggling with people because you're debating with yourself and yourself never stops talking. But here's the thing. This is the importance of godly relationships. Have people who can talk you through your internal struggles. Have you ever told somebody about your insecurity and they were just like, what? You struggle with that? Like Not like you're dumb for that, but I would have never guessed. You ever heard somebody say they struggle with self-confidence and you thought, I thought you were the most confident person in the room or wondering if they're as gifted as the person next to them? I'll never forget a friend of mine. and We're both singers and I told him one time, hey man, when, when you and I first met, I struggled because you're so good. And he said, that's funny because I struggled because you had an anointing on your life to lead worship. And it kind of messed with me. Neither of us knew that the other one had an insecurity in that area. We worked through it eventually and then come to find out later we were both dealing with it. Have somebody who can talk you through the thoughts in your head. Bounce your thoughts off of somebody because sometimes when they ricochet off the wall and they come back to you, you realize just how ridiculous they really are. The fourth thing is persecution. Verse 28. He's talking to the church at Philippi and he's telling them, hey, listen, these people that are opposing you, don't be intimidated by them. And if anybody can talk about that, it's Paul because he experienced persecution in this city when he was founding the church that he's now writing a letter to. And he's experiencing persecution while he's writing the letter. He's writing it from jail. And sometimes people who aren't believers are going to persecute you for your faith. Now, let me say this really quick, because I just want to be really clear. In the U.S., we don't experience a lot of physical persecution. Sometimes we do experience emotional or verbal persecution and things like that, but we don't experience it much physically. Can I just say, um, I think we should be so grateful for that. That no matter if culture is coming against us and saying, well, you shouldn't believe this and you shouldn't believe that, it is still, we're still at the place where we can declare and speak the word of God without fearing physical repercussions for that. Do you know that the missionaries that we support in India, amen, the missionaries that we support in India risk being beaten and thrown in jail. And it happens to them simply for declaring the gospel. I met a guy one time, um, in central Mexico, in an area called uh, Huasteca. And he was part of an indigenous people from that area. area. His name was Lino. And when we met him, uh, we were up in these villages where some of the people uh, still spoke Nahuatl, uh, a dialect of the old Aztec languages. And uh, they still lived in stick huts. And when they introduced us to Lino, he's, they told us that Lino was the pastor there. And in the past, he had actually uh, gotten thrown in jail for preaching the gospel in central Mexico just in the country next door to us. And we should be so grateful that we're able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But sometimes you will experience persecution and people will tell you that you're dumb for believing that. Sometimes, just to be honest with you, you might experience persecution from people who maybe um, are not meaning to do that. They're, they're well-meaning, but maybe they're kind of stuck in religious traditions. And they're telling you, well, you shouldn't worship that way. You shouldn't worship with that much passion. You shouldn't believe God that he's going to heal you from cancer. That's ridiculous. You shouldn't express yourself and worship that way, or you shouldn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Those things happen, but those are from well-meaning people. And we have to be ready to deal with that. Sometimes your struggle is actually the result, though, of the fact that you're right in the middle of God's will. See, Paul didn't look at all these struggles and go, man, I wonder what we got wrong. Paul understood that these were just the result of being right in the middle of God's will. If you did something wrong and it's caused a struggle in your life, take responsibility for it. Ask God for forgiveness and allow the Holy Spirit to help you grow from it. And you know, the context in which you grow best is the context of community. But here's the deal. Sometimes you're gonna struggle when you're on the right path, either because the world is broken or because the devil is terrified of what God's gonna do through you as you continue to obey. So analyze the struggle in your life and see, is it the result of something I did? But be open to the fact that maybe it's the result of the fact that you're doing things right. And opposition is just gonna come. Circumstances will make or break your journey, but Paul made sure that his circumstances didn't break him, but that he broke through his circumstances. He said, you could put me in jail, but I'm gonna write letters to every corner of the known world, and they're gonna stick around for the next 2000 plus years. You can try to lock me up, but I'm going to find a way. Paul had his priorities straight. And here were Paul's priorities. I'm going to go through these very quickly. Number one, Paul told the Philippians that glorifying God with our lives is the major priority of every believer. If you look in verses 10 through 11, he has this key phrase and he says, what really matters. And then in verse 11, he talks about giving glory to God and living with the fruit of our salvation. The main goal of your life on this earth is to glorify God. It's not honestly to be happy. It's not honestly to be comfortable. If you have those things, that's wonderful. And God loves to bless his people because he's a good dad. But the main priority of our life is to glorify God. It's not to do my will. And the Lord's really been challenging me with this lately. It's not to do my will, but it's to do what he wants me to do. Number two, in regards to his personal conflicts, Paul told us that reaching people was more important to him than being recognized. He said, some people are preaching the gospel with ulterior motives and selfish ambitions and really just to spite me, but I don't care as long as the good news is being preached. You know what that means for me? I don't care who sings as long as somebody's singing the praises of God. What that might mean for you is, Who cares if they're the leader of the greeter ministry now? And I don't know why they even picked her. She's only been greeting for three weeks. (laughs) Are people being greeted? Are people being greeted with the love of Jesus? I do want to say this really quick. I, I find it fascinating in today's culture that we are so quick to criticize believers and especially ministers But Paul said, I don't really care what their motives are as long as the gospel is being preached. God will deal with motives, but we should just be thankful that the word is getting out. Number four, the last thing, uh, number three, I'm sorry, in regards to his internal wrestling, Paul told us that helping people grow in Christ was more important than his own comfort or desires. See, Paul says in verses 21 through 25, he's like, I'd kind of rather go to heaven. I'd kind of rather be in the presence of God, free from all of my pain. Paul had scars all over his body from the many times that he had been beaten for sharing the message of Jesus Christ. He probably had pains because of the physical, just um, the physical, just pain that he had endured through all of his missionary journeys. He said, I'd rather go to heaven, but it's really interesting because he said, but you know what? It would be for your benefit and so that you could grow in Christ for me to stay. So I guess I'll stick around. Number four, in regards to the persecution the Philippians faced, Paul said that the purpose of spreading the good news and the privilege of suffering for Christ was more important than the intimidation they were facing. That I don't care what people say about me. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what people do to me. If God told me to spread this message, it's worth it to me so that I can see lives changed and people saved from an eternity in hell. So here's what I wanna share with you really quickly. There's three things that I believe Paul understood. Number one, priorities. Number two, perspective. And number three, perception. Priorities, perspective, perception. Priorities, what do I value? What's my ultimate goal in life? Proverbs 29:18 says that where there's no prophetic vision, people run wild or they cast off restraint. What's the goal that's keeping you going in a certain direction? Number two, perspective. How do I see my circumstances? What's the lens with which I view the world? Have you ever put on sunglasses and they were tinted and everything just looked like it was a different color? I remember I was snowboarding one time and I had these brown, like polarized goggles. And when I would take the goggles off and look at the snow, the snow was like neon purple. The lens with which I was viewing things was coloring my vision. And then perception, how does a setback or a success make me feel? My priorities will determine my perspective and my perspective will determine my perception. My priorities determine my perspective, how I look at things. And my perspective determines my perception, how things make me feel. You can't predetermine your circumstances, but you can pre-decide your perception. Because joy is a choice. In verse 18, Paul is very clear about that. And he's telling people that he is going to rejoice. It's a choice that he's making. It's the result of predetermined priorities that cause you to view life God's way. Because when we view life God's way, we can always have joy because we know that he causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose for them. According to Romans 8, Verse 28, that life may have thrown a curveball at you. The devil may have really put something in your path. And not everything is the devil, by the way. If you didn't find your keys the night before, and now you can't find them and you're late for work. It's not the devil's fault. It is your fault. But something may have happened in your life. And God can turn anything around for good if you trust him. So today you have the power to choose your perspective. You can view a circumstance as an opportunity to complain or an opportunity to display God's goodness to the world around you. The world has never, I don't think anybody's ever come to Jesus because of our complaints. Nobody's ever heard a Christian go, I'm so frustrated about my life and said, I want to be like them. But when they have said, you know what? My life is a wreck right now, if I'm honest with you, because really following Jesus and joy is not about glossing over circumstances and pretending they don't exist. But it's about saying, this is what it looks like right now, but I know that God's gonna turn it around and something good is coming. So we can only see from his perspective if we spend time in his presence. Galatians 5.22 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness. I'll forget them all. Goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I always miss one of them but the fruit of the Spirit, which means that spending time with God causes us to view things from His perspective. Spending time with God causes us to have a joy about us. Spending time with God is directly related to how I view life and how I respond to things that happen to me in life. As you begin to think like I'm sorry, the more time you spend seeking God and reading his word, the more time you'll begin to think like him. And as you begin to think like God, your priorities will align with his and you'll view life the way he does. When you begin to do that, you will truly count it all joy, as it says in James 1, 2. You begin to see that no matter what this circumstance looks like, I've got a goal. My goal is to give glory to Jesus. My, gl- my goal is to bring as many people as I can with me to heaven. My goal is to serve with a faithful and a humble heart in the local church. My goal is to make his name famous in this earth. And nothing is going to stop me from getting closer to him, bringing him glory and leading other people to him. When we do that, we can truly choose joy. So here's the thing. Choose joy today, knowing that God can turn anything that comes against you around to bring people close to him and to glorify him. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org.